Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, welcome to the 365th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Steve Goot. You know, we had an Instagram exchange and he asked to see some treatments and I sent him some and then he joined Patreon. So pretty much think Steve joined because of me. Anyhow, I'm Oren Kaplan. <laughs> and I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Jesse Atlas back on the show. Devoted listeners will remember his episode 114. Way back we talked about turning short films into feature films. Well, he's back on the mic to talk about how he turned his short film into a feature film. The new film Assassin starring Bruce Willis, Andy Allo, Dominic Purcell, and Eugenia Kuzmina. It's a cool sci-fi thriller. It is Bruce Willis's last feature film role. But we talk about how Jesse has a really specific model where he makes these really exciting, cool, high-end shorts that then play awesome festivals, and then he, he turns them into feature deals. We dig in pretty deep on it, and it's a really awesome conversation about not just that model, but also the philosophy behind creating sci-fi worlds and thrillers and uh, some of the ins and outs of shooting in Alabama, which is interesting. It was a really great conversation. Yeah, and also just... You know, how to put these movies together, how how name talent, high concept, creative and mm-hmm. a short film, which, you know, some people might call it proof of concept, go into getting a movie made. So I think we we learned a lot and probably got some ideas for our own projects of how to how to do that stuff. But before we talk to Jesse, I've been dying to know because you've been avoiding me. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's everybody knows it. I called you twice. <laughs> You told me you'd call me back. You never I did. did. I didn't call you. I was like, well, I talked to him once a week. It's more so, than literally any other person besides my wife. <laughs> so I figured I'd wait till we are on the podcast to find out uh, what have you been working on lately? Yeah, man. So I, uh, I've been in the mix. It's been really fun. Um, I've been pitching on things here and there. Uh, but the big news is that I, uh, I took a job as a showrunner on a new show. Uh, not a television show, I should say. It's a podcast and a YouTube show and kind of a, a whole media thing. I'm not off the market entirely. I still can freelance. I'm still doing the feature. I'm still doing all of that stuff. But I kind of saw the writing on the wall in terms of the nature of the business right now. And I thought I would love to just dig in on some long form content. And so I uh, I found this opportunity. I ran with it. What's What's long form content? Do you like hour long? hour long yeah yeah yeah. you know it's still early days and i can't talk about too much of it but like uh there's a 
long form storytelling podcast that I'll be working on and tweaking, kind of streamlining a little bit. And then I'm mostly brought in to kind of pioneer additional projects, basically. Like it's a it's a well-oiled machine that I'm going to just oil a little bit more so that we can accommodate uh, for some new exciting projects on the horizon. Cool. Are you allowed to tell us what company or anything? Let me get back to you on that. I, it's like, it's so early. I haven't had my first day of work yet. And so like, it's weird. I'm, I'll be much more open, I think, in the future. But like, I kind of still need to like feel things out. Who knows which coworkers are Googling me right now? You know, oh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to keep it chill oh, look, until I, I figure Google it out. Google rank just skyrocketed. Yeah, finally. In the last 10 seconds. I will say the other Matt Enlow with whom I'm internet friends... The uh, other Matt Enlow who's online a lot. I'm friends with a F- Oren Kaplan on Facebook. He's always like, was this email meant for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, my Matt Enlow, he shared my, one of my commercials on LinkedIn the other day. No way. Really touching. Yeah. Is he also a director? No. No, he's like a nice teacher. He's got great taste in commercials. So I'll say that. <laughs> in one commercial. Yeah. So I'll keep everyone posted, but um, I'm super excited to like have a team and like go in and kind of put a little bit of a, of an executive hat back on. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah. It's a sigh of relief. Can't wait for you to return even less of my calls. (sighs) Honestly, I think I'll be able to be more engaged. Like now I have a very explicit reason to be at a desk, which I think is going to change my life. Yeah. Yeah. I love desks. Me too. Um, Oren, what have you been working on lately? I've had an interesting week. Uh, I had a very slow start to the year, as I've talked Mm -hmm. about on this podcast earlier. Mm -hmm. I think the whole industry is fairly slow. And it's not that there's no work. There's just less projects, which makes each project much more competitive to pitch. And each project so much more of a bummer when you don't get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fewer Um, at-bats. yeah, Fewer at-bats and you're pitching against... Very highly qualified people because they're kind of going down because you know, there's a potential writer's strike coming up. There's all these things, you know, companies are laying off people. There's less money being spent. Yeah. So it's been slow, but it's Thursday today. In the past week, I've had three shoots. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, a week ago, I shot Ohio Laundry in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Two days ago, I shot Nestle Drumsticks, mm-hmm. which is a job, by the way, I got in December. In December. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's crazy. And today Boy. I shot a job for HBO Max. Oh, um, I shot a sketch for a TV show called Game Theory. And I got the job because I was recommended by Oren Brimmer, past guest. Oh, right on. And they texted me and they're like, hey, are you in the DGA? And I was like, Oren, what do I say? And he's like, well, they can only hire DGA directors. So I said, yes. Awesome. And. Man. It's uh yeah, the first job that I got because I joined. So Dude, that's so exciting. I wanted to talk about these two jobs because they were both with you know, name talent. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that and everyone for sure my mom wouldn't know either one of these names. Uh today's name is probably is an athlete, but um we had a script, we had everything set. Uh he showed up to set, we had him for three hours. Mm-hmm. And he said, I was like, Hey, how's it going? You need some coffee? You ready to shoot? He's like, yeah, by the way, I probably should have said something earlier, but the script you sent is no good. (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, we have him for three hours, but Uh uh, Uh one of the producers might have told his agent that we'll probably be done with him in an hour and a half, which I was Uh like, 
why would you ever say that to anyone? Yeah. Uh, and he shows up and he says he does not like the script. And we have, I have a whole plan, like what uh-huh. shot goes to with uh-huh. part sure. of the dialogue and all this stuff. And uh, we had some B-roll planned also. And so I immediately called the producer. I was like, hey, can we get on a Zoom real quick? <laughs> By the way, the producer is in New York and the whole writing team and everything. They're mm-hmm. all in New York. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I think I got this job is because mm-hmm. they needed sure. someone in L.A. to yeah. uh, do a sketch real quick. And um, he was like, why don't you shoot the B-roll <laughs> and mm-hmm. we will rewrite the script. Yeah. So we did that and it ended up working out fine. But it was like, you know, stressful. And sure. Yeah. Uh, the producer said, hey, by the way, thank you. I mean, I don't know what else any director would do, but mm-hmm. he said, thank you for immediately calling me and like getting us. <laughs> Sure. And telling me this and getting the writers on and getting back on track. And, yeah. you know, we ended up, you know, rewriting it. He felt basically he, he's an athlete that was, you know, we kind of tried to write something in his voice and he felt like it was not at all in his voice. We ended up um, finding a new version. And luckily the writers were like, yep, cool. We're working on it. Give us 10 minutes. And then 30 minutes later, they had a new script. And I, I mean, showed it awesome. to him and he was like, okay, that's a compromise. Well, let's do this. So. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. My other shoot on Tuesday was mm-hmm. bonkers, uh, in like film, like any normal human that doesn't work in the film industry wouldn't think this is crazy, but we had what I would consider very high profile talent. It's a pop musician who is also very big on TikTok, one of the mm-hmm. top in the top 20 people. And this musician is very has a very strong brand mm-hmm. and is very conscious of what that brand looks like mm-hmm. on camera. And again, we had limited time with them. The musician showed up and had an assistant that was constantly at the monitor, a very young assistant, which is fine. No big deal. But like literally like a 19 year old kid <laughs> that was at the monitor, taking pictures of the monitor and then showing it to the musician. Mm-hmm. And then the musician would be like, Nope, too dark. Uh, too warm, just had notes on the lighting. Mm-hmm. And then the assistant was like, no problem. And he went and got his own lights and started setting them up in our shop. Oh my God. And our cinematographer was like, uh, we have lights. What are you doing? <laughs> and it was just, I've never had that before. Oh my God. That's where crazy. Talent is bringing their own lights because they don't like, by the way, this, this person is, is very talented and has many, obviously, if they're in the top 20 of TikTok, has many, many viral videos. Mm-hmm. And is and one interesting thing that this person told me also is that they own an Alexa Mini. Uh-huh. And they made all these videos and no one was watching them. And then they switched to iPhone and they just everything went viral. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it w- it's one of the best examples I've heard of like production value making something. Something less appealing. Less yeah, yeah. authentic. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Especially. I think TikTok in particular, but like, I think that's true across all social at this point. It's so much like kind of protection of the brand that like, you know, they, they would look at every shot on the monitor and the assistant was like, like recording them on their phone off the monitor to show them. So after every take, they would have to review the take. And like, sometimes they, the musician would be like, nope, those jeans don't work and just leave for 15, 20 minutes to go change their pants. <laughs> And like mm-hmm. the jeans were client approved, very specific. There's a lot of visual mm-hmm. effects, very specific mm-hmm. color to, you know, contrast in the background. So yeah, the crazy thing is 
to yeah. is they were very nice and they're once the camera's on, amazing, right? Everyone yeah. in yeah. the Vineyard Village is like, this looks great. We love it. But just as a director who's got limited time to get takes and do shots and tell a story and gather mm-hmm. the footage that is, you know, is gonna hopefully edit together well to be good. And and you're also up against these videos that are getting fifty million views. <laughs> you know, sure. eighty million views. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so we both have worked with plenty of famous people who have authority over the way that they're presented. You know, like Mm -hmm. the the last job I did, there's a whole entourage. We had an agent, we had a publicist, we had a hair and makeup. We had like a specific designer who did all all of their clothing was custom. Everything was custom. Right. By the way, I just worked with someone, I think on my Tuesday job, someone had worked on your job as well. Oh, Nice. They were like, I just worked with Matt Inlow. You're, they knew our podcast. So, oh. you, know, you know how people only know our podcast when they talk to me, but not you. The, today's person was, is an athlete, you know, and I was like, hey, what if you do this? We had all these mm-hmm. props and funny things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we thought you'd do this and this. And he would be like, no, nah, not doing that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I like having an entourage at a certain point. I think nine people is probably too many people. But having a few people where you know, okay you're going to be keeping an eye on the way that they look so that we know that they're, they feel good and they feel confident about the way that they're like, they're looking for things that are different than the things that we're looking for. And I'm, we're working together. And if you say this or that, we're going to take care of it. There's the authority over your image and the way they're, you're perceived and all that stuff. And then there's a next level thing when you're a creator who has been doing it from the, ground floor up right started in their bedroom shooting their own things buying their own camera gear learning what how they like to be photographed all of that stuff they're filmmakers yeah they're not only are they filmmakers because i think plenty of other traditional talent move into directing and stuff as well but like they don't have to answer to anyone they Mm -hmm. don't have to ask the dp if they can change if they can change their pants they just go do it and like, there's a part of me that's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? We have people who, we have pants. We'll get you some pants, right? But right. like, you can say that to someone. But like, the truth is, they have 50 million views on the last video they did. And I don't. Also, they need this job a lot less than you do. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so the, the, I don't have a problem with that at all i think i try to build in a rapport you know like the people who come like hey loud and clear the jeans aren't working let's go figure them out together like let me bring over our stylist what specifically don't you like about them is the is it the silhouette is the color whatever we work it out together i'm you know this person's stylist happened to be their sibling Mm -hmm. Uh, you know when when you work with certain level talent you have to hire their team their stylist and their people yeah their hair people and and i think early on i do my best to be like hey I know that you understand the ins and outs. This experience is really valuable. So if I'm going to suggest that we put someone in pants that you know they're not going to like, I'm really, I'm counting on you to tell me that in advance. It's not going to hurt my ego. Let's figure it out together. You're dealing with the uh, the other problem. It's not like your feelings are hurt. You're happy for them to go change pants. Yeah, but you know I, that you only got six hours. And it's I was not literally their problem. at the client. I'm like, you know, one time they wanted to wear a different shirt. for, it, And mm-hmm. I was like, honestly, it does not matter. Like, any this shirt is perfect doesn't have logos doesn't have all the things they're worried about looks great on camera let's just shoot with it and they're like nah we we just like approved the other one the rest of the team approved like and it was like i had mm-hmm. to go to the talent and say hey they they really want you to wear the other shirt and 
they felt like it didn't really make sense for them mm-hmm. to wear that. And I was like, which I'm, is why it's nice for the entourage members to be there. Cause then you can call over the agent and you can be like, Hey, you guys need to talk, but I'm going to keep going. We're going to figure this out. We're going to shoot some B-roll or whatever. While you sideline and have a fight about this shirt. You know, that that's when it's helpful to have them rather than the, the talent being a part of the conversation. They have proxies that can fight those battles and you, you weigh in, you say, Hey, this is what I prefer. This is what I think. But it sounds like you're in a situation where you're kind of like, I don't, you don't care because it's it's too low of a priority to fight about or waste time on, basically. Yeah, there are things that people worry about on set, like what shoes someone is wearing that are, to me, so unimportant. Like, look, if you're doing a narrative feature and it's like a character, you know, she wears very high heels. He wears, mm-hmm. you know, flip-flops. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. that's one thing. But if it's like, do we want the Converse sneakers or do we want the New Balance or do we want this, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, Gucci slippers or whatever? And it's like, I don't know. They're all telling the same story and we're not going to see the shoots. So just put any of them on them. Let's shoot. I want to take more, get more takes. Yeah. I always say sometimes it feels like I'm the only person who knows the sun's going to go down. We can talk about the shoes, but now we didn't get any shots because the light's gone. Anyhow. But um, yeah, but we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, we'll see there. There's a couple of things, potential things uh, on the horizon, but nothing concrete. So I, I, even on my shoot today, I'm, and you know, I ask everyone like, "How's it going?" And they're like, "Yeah, we got some free time this year." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I keep thinking about, you know, I haven't worked a ton. It's March twenty third when we're recording this. I've had time to write. You know, I wake up early, and I'm. I haven't been nearly as uh, productive as as I'd like to be, mm-hmm. and it's because I was busy. People are productive. I was, I was stressing. I was stressing about, no, it wasn't even that. I was busy. I kept busy. You know, I haven't had time to call you. I just was doing all the stuff that we do. And rather than writing, I was going on LinkedIn. Like I was digging for different websites to find other jobs, all that stuff. And I just, you know, I was my most productive writing wise when I had a job Mm -hmm. that was, you know, covered the basics. The, The idea is that it will help me focus on the things that I want to prioritize. And that's, you know, like I said, long form storytelling, making shows. So I'm excited. Well, congrats. Thanks, man. But cool. Well, let us know what you think. You can email us just shoot a pod at gmail.com. If you just want to donate to our de-stressing mm-hmm. fund, it's a uh, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. It's uh, the money that we use to pay our editor. Who is legitimately less stressed because of it? Hello, welcome back to Just Edit, a podcast within a podcast. And I just want to confirm that uh, having money and getting paid does in fact make me less stressed. Okay, that's it. That's all I have to say. Goodbye. I'm going to go keep working on my movie. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Right, goodbye. I'm gone. I'm gone. Sometimes people write to me on Instagram and they're like, hey, Orin, da, 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 like I'm shooting this thing. What do you think about this? Like, I don't know. People are all constantly like interacting with me about their projects and things that listen to the podcast and a lot of them are like by the way i feel so bad i'm not on your patreon yeah you should yeah i'm like <laughs> that's totally fine you don't need to be on our patreon no, you but, don't. Yeah. but if you feel bad just go to it patreon.com says just shoot a pod you give us a dollar two dollars four dollars a dollar is great yeah but twenty dollars will get you a hat and we're going to talk about new designs yeah new designs after we finish recording in just a few minutes 
In the meantime, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash shootpod, and listen to this interview with Jesse Atlas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, Jesse Atlas back on the pod. Welcome back, Jesse. Welcome back. Five years. Yeah, I, I had made I had made the short film "Let Them Die Let Like them Lovers," die like which lovers. has turned into the feature film "Assassin," which they're still alive. They are still alive because <laughs> they are releasing on March thirty first. Thankfully, just to get this out of the way, you said that it's going to be in ten theaters. Do you know? Or uh, in, in, ten, in, ten in, cities. in ten cities. In ten cities. Which in ten, cities? Ten cities. Oh, this is gonna. Oh, now the just name four of them. Mad at me. Four but, of the ten. Uh, I'm gonna name uh, Los Angeles, New York, mm-hmm. Houston, and Orlando, mm-hmm. and Chicago, and Minneapolis. Well, congrats, man. That's well done. Just kind of, you know, in terms of getting things out of the way, just so people have a little context, just give us the log line and then we'll we'll do some soul searching right after that. Just tell us tell us what Assassins is about. Assassin is the is about the evolution of the US drone program. And instead of remotely piloting machines and planes and drones, you can now remotely pilot another person. So we're going into um, that stage of the near future. And following the journey of a soldier who is uh, given the chance to be a part of this program um, as an opportunity to get her husband back. And we are exploring it through the lens of what this does to your identity and your sanity and, you know, achieving, uh, you know, just bring, bring to the table a story that has always been my MO, which is to balance, you know, complex human emotions with, you know, high concept genre film um and is the person that you're piloting another human or are they like a robot oh yes i could put my consciousness into matt's body and have matt 
kill Oren mm-hmm. and look like Matt did it, and I would get. You could away. just so, ask, dude. Yeah. yeah, Matt would be happy. <laughs> um, and is that just uh, like a technology, like a chip, microchip type of technology, or is it a more celestial? Oh, it's well, it's a technology, but I think you know if if you're familiar with my short films, you know that I don't like to go too much into detail about the uh, the the specific mechanics because I think it's a wormhole that you know can really take you down a five to ten minute exposition detour in your film. Um, but in this film, you know, uh, you'll it's 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 a it's a great moment, so I don't want to give it away, but it is it is a a little bit of a of an intense way that um that your brain is hacked um and it is you know it is described in the film as basically a brain hack but there there is a device that um there is a piece of tech that does have to be placed in your body to enable this hack so do you guys think that when you are doing because matt has like a genre script too that he has been working on and, and trying to get made when you guys are have these kind of genre sci-fi high concept stories, do you think it's important, even if you're not doing the exposition scene of like showing how everything works for the writer to know it? Or do you think sometimes it's okay to just like You need to know the rules so that the you don't break them even if you don't explicitly explain them to people. Jesse, would you agree? Uh I think that that's Absolutely true. And I think that, you know, something that my writing partner, Aaron Wolf, who wrote the script with me, something that he and I always talk about is, you know, the, you know, making things too tight or too loose, you know, using a set of rules. And, you know, if you, you do have to lay out a set of rules, but I I don't think that, I don't think that it's so necessary to kind of solve the problem of what you're inventing in the sci-fi space, because if it did actually exist, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be magical. It wouldn't be sci-fi. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be genre. And I think that our job, our job as as filmmakers, is is not to figure out how these things would be invented because we are not scientists, and because we're not scientists, when we try to justify them, we start getting very verbose sure. and overly explanatory. And so, th- th- there's a difference between a rule set. And Mm -hmm. the logic behind said rule set, right? So like in your film, you know, I'm sure you know what would happen if two people were trying to hack the same body or something like that, right? But we don't need to know what nerve the device is connecting to and the science behind that and this and that. It's just like you you know your own rules so you don't break them. Yes, if you can find a way to subvert the way that you introduce the audience to the rules cuz I do think the rules are very are very very important and and like you said like whether they are very explicit or whether they're very subtle, I think you can always feel when you're in the hands of a good storyteller and you can always feel when you've been a little bit cheated as an audience member. I think that if you have to lay out the rules in order to get somebody to believe in the magic, I think the the question to ask is how many rules do you have to get? Mm-hmm. How many rules do you have to lay out in order to let somebody believe in the magic? Right. And right. what is the fine line at which at which point you can say, "Okay, that that is enough." And for me and for Aaron when we're crafting and we're writing together, we're often thinking about what's the best time to introduce those rules? And we found that for us, it's usually after we've exposed the character and the audience to that experience. 
mm-hmm. and shown that experience on screen mm-hmm. right. and let it be mysterious and let it be, you know, wonderful and, and magical. You see and, the and, DeLorean travel through time and then right. you and see then the like, flux capacitor. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, wait, yeah. was right, that 87, right. 89 miles per hour? What's the deal? Mm-hmm. I need to know. Where do you want somebody to look? You know, as a, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, that's always what you want to have in the, in the forefront of your mind. And there's some things that come up, you know, that, that, you know, whether it's the rules or something in production design or something. And, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody will on set will come up or, and, or a producer will be like, ah, this. And I'm like, if somebody is noticing that we have a much bigger problem because they're not paying attention to this emotional moment, or they're not right. paying attention to that thing on the other side of the frame that I want them to be looking at. You know, I was listening to the podcast about The Last of Us, and they talk about the opening scene where they have, you know, these three scientists talking about the fungus that can infect your brain. And one of the writers, Craig Mazin, was talking about how because of COVID happening, you would explain this in a different way than if we hadn't gone through that. You know, like sometimes the world is ready, more interested in explanations Mm -hmm. because just the world's different. You know, the Internet is here now and. We are all interconnected in a way that we weren't. Speaking of how the world has changed and, you know, where we come from and where we go to and how our filmmaking changes over the years. So you were on the podcast last time, five years ago, you had made this short that played at Sundance, right? This one played at Tribeca and Fantastic Fest. Okay. Tribeca and Fantastic Fest. And you sold it as a feature, right? You were hired to write the feature script. And who hired? Was it Sony? at the time? No. So actually, so this, this is very interesting. So I've, I've done this two times now, you know, whether it's actually the film getting made or, or setting up a feature script, I have found that there's a very clear and simple pipeline for making a short and turning it into a feature adaptation. And the first time that I attempted this pipeline was with record play, which was my, uh, my first film that my first short film and that went to Sundance and played a lot of different places and you know it got a lot of attention and my co-writer Aaron Wolf and I you know decided to take it out as a feat and shop it as a feature adaptation based on the strength of the short and the pitch for a feature and we took that and we set it up at a studio you know we were in contract um to adapt our own work it was for higher work Um, you know, in the setup of that contract that involved, you know, selling the original IP, which was the short itself. And that was a great, fantastic learning experience. But at the end of the day, um, due to whatever studio politics were happening at the time and people leaving the company who were champions of the project and blah, 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 it didn't get made. But we got so close that I said, you know what, this is a viable path for us. Let's do this again. And we made a second short, which was Let Them Die Like Lovers, which of course has turned into Assassin. But the key difference in those two approaches is that for Let Them Die Like Lovers, we wrote the feature script on our own as spec. And even once we entered into an agreement with producers um, and financiers and a distributor, the contract stipulated that we owned the short Right. Your, your point IP. being, you're saying the previous one was work for hire. You didn't own anything. You, you sold out, basically. And this one, you made sure you maintained the rights so that you could make the movie, ultimately. We if maintained control. Basically we, basically, we owned the underlying material until the first day of principal photography. That was the contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that if anything... Paid, 
Do you get paid until you shoot? Correct. Yeah. But but do they they have to option like when you go into pre production or whatever they have to it it, it it's a studio also right. Um, um, yes. I mean, well, you know, it's, it's, it's an independent company set up, you know, as its own LLC, it was actually die like lovers LLC, you know, that we all entered into partnership with, but, um, but, but the who, financing... who's paying for it. Yeah. Mm, oh yeah. So yeah. So, you know, there's, there's an, an initial investment and then, you know, that's matched against with, you know, all different kinds of bridge financing and, and pre-sales mm-hmm. and, you know, money from, you know, upfront from us distribution and things that I don't know how to properly explain in a podcast. And I'll probably look silly trying to explain. Okay. But so it's not a studio. No deal like your other one. Right. Exactly. I don't think that it's about, you know, studio versus indie. That really wasn't the question for us. I think the question for us was really just, you know, maintaining control over our story and not parting with it you know, in exchange for money at a point where, you know, the money right might actually replace the film getting made. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't right. of, of interest to us because we had tried that before and, and gotten paid, but didn't get a movie out of it. Yeah. And you're like, well, I spent that money and I don't have a movie. The next kind of big question, right, is like in between these short films and these deals, what does the rest of your career look like? Hmm. Yeah. So the rest of the career looks like in, you know, either getting other, other projects set up, um, either as work for hire or selling original projects, um, Mm -hmm. continuing to work, um, as an editor, continuing to work as a creative director. I think that we are all familiar with having, um, multiple hustles, but of course the, you know, the most interesting part to me is, is of course, you know, putting as much energy and effort as I can into you know getting a feature film made that has been my goal you know since since i made record play and everything all the choices that i've made have been choices that i've made around that what is the path that i can carve out for myself that still allows me to put 100 percent into this yeah and i mean i think that's the question we all face which is the the you know the two the two projects that you're, you just talked about right there's the there's a project where we can get paid from someone else to work on them. And then there's a project that we don't get paid until they are actually being made. Right. Which, right. which means that, um, assassin is a, is a passion project pretty much until you get paid. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to find the motivation to keep going and putting your, all your time in it while you're also trying to, you know, make a living and pay for your kids and all the other stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's certainly a complex balance. I don't know if I would say that for me, I'm not sure that I would say that it was a, it was a passion project. It was certainly like a, a viable, I don't know. I guess when I, when I hear the word passion project, I, I feel like that's a, maybe you mm-hmm. might be right about that, but it also strikes me as a term of like sure. people who are so overly devoted to something that means something to them, but might not mean something to somebody else at the end of the day. But I did actually craft this as, you know, this, this was my, this was my startup. This was my Mm -hmm. business model. Right. You know, this is something for you to direct. Right. And you're like, sure. Someone might buy this for $10 million, but I would rather direct it for a couple million dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that, that, yeah, that is, that is the bargain that, that is a bargain that I wanted to make after having been paid several times to, to write on things that, um, that 
you know, didn't get made or didn't get made the way that I wanted them to get made. Um, you know, this was a, a big gamble, but a big, a big investment in, in my own belief that, that this would get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. Jesse, you're helping me realize that I think that our definition or at least viewpoint for what we think of as a passion project has shifted Mm -hmm. pretty significantly, right? Like a passion project used to be like the thing you did on the nights and weekends and like, you're just getting your voice out there. This is my story that I have to tell. This is my story. Yeah, exactly. And now, uh, this is a a working hypothesis, but like to me, a, a passion project is anything where once you're done, you need to find another job in the next mm-hmm. six months. Do you know what I mean? If you were like, right. hey, I finished Assassin. I'm going to chill. I'll be in the Bahamas. And then I'll start writing my next thing or whatever. Like if the paycheck is that fat that you're like in development on a bunch of other things and you're hustling, but like you're still living off the fat of that hit, that's not a passion project. But kind of anything short of that if you're displacing your income for uh, an investment in your career, that maybe is what falls under passion project for us now, basically. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, Matt, I feel like exactly the same for once, but I think maybe because we do all this commercial work for other people on things that we're definitely not initially that passionate about. To me, the passion project is something that is a cre- created by me, like it's from me. It's like a, it's creatively fulfilling and I'm probably, I'm choosing to own it instead of to get paid for it. Yeah. Like, like, you know, an indie film, you're still making likely, hopefully a wage that keeps you afloat. Like you're not doing a side hustle as you're like in principal photography on your indie film. Right. (laughs) No, that would be, that'd be impossible. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so that it's not to, to denigrate anything, but I guess I think we're just like, as we're getting older. No, it's uh, true though. It's It's true. It's, it's, it's a really interesting topic of conversation because on the one hand, yes, it's, 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 you know, it's the second time that we did this, right. You know, taking the short and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, attempting to convert it into a feature, you know, the second time was based off of, you know, the, the failures of the first time, which is, oh man, you know, this one company that we got into business with didn't make it. And now we can't have it back. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a business model. There's no lawyer like, to call to buy it. From right. Me, right. There's, right. Yeah. Well, there is, but they they don't know that, you know, it's, sure. it's just a money yeah, yeah. problem that we can't solve because we don't have enough money. But, um, you know, even, even when, when we're saying like, yeah, it's a business, it's, you know, it's a business where you know that you're going into it, you know, for the first years, you know, the first couple of mm-hmm. years, uh, knowing that you're not going to have an, a return on your investment, which, you know, some people would say that that is, that is crazy. And then they would say, well, you must not do it unless you really care about it. It must be one of your passions. And here we are back at passion. Project. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so now that you've done both, you, you've made the short, sold the IP, you've made the short, kept the IP and made the movie for your next feature project. If, unless, you know, you, I, I don't know, like if this has affected your representation or if your people are sending you a lot of scripts or things like that, but let, let's say beside, aside from that, what for you yourself now is the next move. 
hey, I, I want to make another short and see if I can actually sell a script because that's financially lucrative and hopefully it gets made since we already like made one or make a short, write the script and do it or just skip the short all, all together now because you have like obviously these two great shorts and a feature. What's I'm going to skip move? the short altogether because mm-hmm. I think I think luckily the shorts that I've made it's really been lightning in a bottle and I don't think that I'm going to be able to do that again. You know, I really got to um you know, I got to make some really kind of like, you know, feature level quality stuff without spending a ton of money. Um, and that was just because of, of my cohort and the relationships with, with the folks that, you know, believed in the material and believed what it could do for them and believed in me. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was able to assemble the right teams at the right time in front of the camera and behind the camera and, you know, really, really was dedicated to the idea that I wanted to make a short, not only that show that. I know how to direct, but that there's a real voice and a real personality to the kind of stories that are being told here. And I want people to be able to look at the shorts and see what I can do in the feature space. And actually it's, it's interesting, you know, that we're talking about like, you know, is this a business model? Is this a passion project? Cause one thing that came up was like, when, when we got producers, um, and, and, you know, producers brought us to a financier and financiers were going to other financiers and rolling up the investment, you know, from, from multiple sources. And, you know, they kept referring to the short film as the proof of concept. And at first I was, you know, like my artist ego was mad, like, well, what is the proof of concept? Like, you know, fuck you. It's a short film. It's a complete story beginning to end. And then, you know, the more that they talked, talked it up to, you know, bigger parties who were getting involved, they were like, look, there's a proof of concept. And I was like, yeah, this is a proof of concept, you know, and I got kind of comfortable with that term. There's no rules on what a proof of concept is. It literally means, hey, here's my concept and mm-hmm. I'm proving to you that, it, that there's something uh, My concept is I'm good at making movies. <laughs> Right. Yes, but yeah, it, it felt it felt like it felt like oh, this is this guy did an experiment, and the experiment has the potential to be a bigger experiment. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just I wanted to be called I wanted to be called a a filmmaker in the same way that I, that I reacted to be like you know don't call this a passion project about mm-hmm. ten minutes ago. I really wanted to be called a filmmaker and not like a guy with a proof of concept. You know that mm-hmm. felt like too yeah. business like me in a way that that just didn't fit well let's talk for a second about assassin specifically so i couldn't help notice that bruce willis is in it um can you tell us a little bit about like how you got him to be in the movie and like what's the order of operations you know between getting bruce willis getting the movie made getting the movie released getting him on board because that that's the um you know the uh catch-22 that so many uh filmmakers get to where like they can't get the movie greenlit without the, the, the talent, they can't get the talent without the money. They can't get the money without, you know, so how can you tell us how you, well, yeah, I mean, look, that's, that's always right. That's always going to be, that's always going to be part of the puzzle, right? How do you, you need this to get that and you need that to get this and which, which is going to come first. But, you know, very luckily, 
we were not in that position. And very luckily, you know, the, the funding had come together. The majority of the rest of the cast had come together. He was actually, um, you know, one of the last pieces of the puzzle to fall into place. And, you know, we were able to connect with his team and, you know, uh, you know, he was, and when you say connect with his team, do you have like your agent call his agent producers? How, how do you connect with his team? Yeah. Producers are calling producers. Agents are calling agents. You know, there was other people who were involved that, you know, we're sharing agents, we're, we're sharing agencies. And, you know, when, when we got to, when we got down to talking, it was like, oh, this is an interesting thing because of, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, the, the idea that he, you know, how do I say this? The idea that he was, he was closing in on his final number of films um, was, was coming up. And I thought that it was really interesting, you know, to talk to his team, you know, cause we talked to his team before we talked to him. Um, I thought it was very interesting to talk about it as kind of like, you know, here's a way for, you know, this is not a Bruce Willis film. He's not in the lead, you know, he's very much a supporting player, but obviously this guy is a fucking legend and he's a godfather of this genre and how cool mm-hmm. would it be you know for him to for him to you know have this progression of of his own arc where like when you look at something like 12 monkeys and he's the guy who's being lifted up in the chair and there's all these you know mm-hmm. scientists and militarists around him and and being like you know hey here's what you got to do and here's how this works and here's what you got to do and here's why you got to do it and now, you know, in Assassin, we have, um, you know, our main character, Alexa, in, you know, in, you know, wired up and in the bathtub that's full of full of ice. And and, you know, he's literally mm-hmm. like I saw I watched 12 Monkeys last week and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like there's really some of the same shots of like he's on the sidelines and just being like, this is what you got to do. This is why you got to do it. And you're doing it because I'm saying it. And what a commanding presence to have in your film of having that person say it. And also it just feels like, you know, there's the story of the plot in the film, right? And then there's the story of the film. And I think the story of the film, it's so cool that we have Bruce Willis, you know, mm-hmm. you know, kind of there to pass the baton onto, mm-hmm. you know, this up and coming cast largely and this up and coming filmmaker and, you know, to be in a different position literally than he was in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, back in his, you know, in in the late nineties when he was the guy in the chair and now he's the person off to the side, giving the commands to get in the chair and shut the fuck up and do it. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm curious. I I was, and you want to go, man? Yeah. Just going back just a tiny bit, because I I think it was really interesting to hear that Bruce Willis was one of the last pieces and that, you know, like you said, you've got kind of an up and coming cast um, that you had already secured financing. What, how would, what would you attribute to being able to secure that money in advance? Because to Oren's point before, oftentimes it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing, but it sounds like uh, you get to eat your eggs and then go hunt a chicken. Or sometimes, yeah. and you know, I, I don't know if this is the case for your movie, but probably not, but I, I, oftentimes you have, hey, we have a movie at half a million dollars, but if you get this mm-hmm, name, mm-hmm. you get an extra half but a million But if Bruce Willis is in it, you get a little bit more or whatever. Yeah, 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 it, yeah it's more meaningful in these territories or whatever, right? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I think, uh, I, I don't want to go too deeply into, into how the sausage is made because I, hey, I man, think that that's there's... the show that is the yeah. show yeah, that is, <laughs> you, uh, you don't need emails yeah. and phone numbers, but like for real, like what, so just walk us through the generalities of the process. I, th- I think the business plan was that, you know, we, we were going to take advantage of, you know, some tax incentives in mm-hmm. Alabama, which is not a place that is, you know, so high up on the map yet, but, you know, had a lot of interesting things to offer, especially in, you know, a film that, you know, we, we were trying to create as many different atmospheres as possible, um, and really needed to own a lot of different types of spaces and, you know, spaces that would have been, you know, two times, three times, four times the amount Mm -hmm. of, uh, of resources, you know, and budget as, as what we were able to find there. And, you know, we were, we were in a window during the pandemic, you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic where there was a, uh, there was a big demand for, you know, for things to, to, to be, to, to fill, to, you know, to come, mm-hmm. we were in a drought, we shot, needed movies. The slate, yeah. you know, in the, yeah. in the second half of 2022 and 2023, we just found a lot of things that just kind of came together in the right way at the right time. Did you change the script at all when you found out it was going to be Alabama or like? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we didn't really, we never really wanted to um, make a film where, where it was so specific to locale wasn't, wasn't a big part of the story itself. Like where in the world is this set? That wasn't Mm -hmm. a real big part of the foundation of, of the story, but what was more important is that you could feel like the Americana of it and you could kind of mm. feel that, you know, this was this this operation was taking place, you know, not off the grid, but you know, not not in the major cities. And it's not like, mm. you know, it was it was important for us to not have this feel like Oh, it's a government program, so sure. it's going to be establishing DC shots of the and Pentagon. shiny, futuristic yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, totally. and big buildings, yeah. and fast-talking people, and this and that. And you know, it was very important for us to feel like we were putting characters into this situation that were really kind of you know just normal salt of the earth people that were you know before before the opportunity to be part of this program, um, you know, came to our main character Alexa. That you know, the biggest struggle was you know can she make her deployment schedule line up with her husband's deployment schedule? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even just, you know, emph- you know, just really emphasizing that in the visual language of like, you know, that they, you know, that you, even just down to the fact that like they share one car and like, who's taking the car, <laughs> you know, when they have to drive to the base and things like that. And, and Alabama was really, um, was really like this rich kind of tapestry for us because, you know, this is a film that, you know, that we, we did very well. I don't want to give away any spoilers of how we did things, but, you know, this is really meant to look very international, you know, Alexa mm-hmm. using this technology, she has a lot of different um, objectives in this film that are, you know, all tied towards the idea of, you know, can she get her husband back? But, you know, she's going to Morocco. She's, you know, going to Southeast Asia. She's going to Europe and, I don't want to give away all the tricks, but, you know, we were able to kind of, we were able to find a way to play mm-hmm. that, um, in a way that was really exciting to us in a way that, 
you know, didn't feel small, um, that actually felt like very expansive. And something that I found about Alabama is, um, once, you know, once the team started talking about tax incentives there, um, I started looking at, uh, you know, I, I think I went down an internet wormhole and I found this site called abandoned Alabama mm-hmm. and I spent about five minutes on it. And I was like, we got to go here because oh, I'd man. never yeah. seen some of the locations that would have been available to us. Um, you know, particularly like the, you know, the, the abandoned train station, which we really got to own. Um, and a few other places that I almost don't want to say were in Alabama because I don't, I mean, I'm going to push back because you know, the, the audience of filmmakers, they're going to be like looking. So are are there things, so uh, just as a wild hip shot guess, uh, the, these abandoned spots, right. Mm -hmm. And then like a little bit of green screen or comping in some landmarks here and there in the background are there other things that aren't totally obvious that you could do to to advise to a filmmaker who's trying to double a location right because i think that's a thing that all of our listeners have had to deal with in some way or another you know mm-hmm. oh absolutely give Look, us, give I, us a, I, a little nugget yeah. you know i you know actually i i really i i don't try to do that because i i really find like authenticity is such a big deal to me like i still to this day will talk about you know the born ultimatum and how the fuck did he jump off of a rooftop on third avenue and mm-hmm. land in the river i don't understand and it you know makes me crazy so instead of doing things like that you know i try to go much more broad and not call attention to that level of specificity and when i am trying to sell a specific location or a specific you know, area in the world or in the country, I think that we lean a lot more into, you know, the, you know, the characters, the, you know, the characteristics of the characters and the costumes and right. definitely If they're sound. drinking coffee and smoking, they're in Paris. <laughs> Everyone knows. Or exactly. Italy but, or, but, or, or Russia or, or you know. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's, you know, because if you're, if you're looking, I feel like if you're looking for those landmarks, right. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for those landmarks, then you're looking for a shorthand. And if you're looking for a shorthand, then you're looking for the familiar. And if you're presenting the familiar, then it's familiar and it's something that somebody's seen before. That's cool. So um, on the just, just to finish up on the Bruce Willis thing, and I worked on this movie that had Jesse Eisenberg in it and we had him for one day and we weren't even allowed to put him on the poster. It was like we had so little access. By we, I mean, I was like the on-set photographer. I'm barely related to this movie. But um, uh, but the something smart that we did with him um was we shot three scenes and one was in the beginning of the movie one was in the middle of the movie one was at the end of the movie so it kind of felt like a jesse eisenberg film you know in a way and i'm Mm. curious like when you have a role like the role you gave bruce willis which you you said is a supporting role but kind of like a mentor like a passing the baton type of role like do you try to craft that role in a way that it feels like it spans over the Mm -hmm. course of the movie um, even though it's a supporting role, just because it, it is like such a huge name? Uh, you know, uh, you know, that, that, that conversation is not, is not alien to me, that, that, that idea. I think that, you know, I, I have heard, I have heard other filmmakers speak about that, about like, oh yeah, you know, like we, we actually were able to get this one person and, you know, you know, 
we we made sure not to shoot all their stuff in the same room so that it, you know even though we had them for two days or whatever but you know or honestly organically like the role the, what the role was we didn't really make any adjustments you know mm-hmm. we didn't make any adjustments um at all but i think that what you're mentioning is is a very interesting you know kind of trick <laughs> for sure when you when you have somebody for only a day or or for yeah. two days i mean i think um, it's it's like an indie film thing right matt like if you get a very recognizable person it, you don't want them to just do a cameo at the yeah, end. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you guys are are both kind of hinting at, look, be smart with the amount of time that you have, but also don't sacrifice your story uh, to try and ham fist something into, you know, something that doesn't make as much sense. Like, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, I mean, but like, I, yeah, I but think, yeah, I think, think personally, yeah. yeah. personally, I I probably would have pushed back on that if somebody was like, well, you're going to need, you know, since you have Bruce like, Willis, you're going to need to Alexa have... closes her eyes and sees Bruce Willis in the film. Yeah, exactly. Or like spread them out through the film. Like, I, you know, I would yeah. be like, huh, what? Sure, I'll give it a shot, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I honestly, I, I wouldn't. Like, those are the kinds of things that I'm like, that's that's where the, the passion project, Jesse, would come out. There you go. Like, no, I'm trying to think of like how like many that. scenes Yoda had. <laughs> in uh, like across the original three star wars movies right like well i mean the fun the fun fact that i love is that hannibal lecter is only on screen for like 11 minutes mm-hmm. sure there in you Science go and the lambs really which yeah which is kind of crazy when you think about it, it. it's got to be more than 11 minutes that can't be true no that i mean look true. it up yeah nope. i mean you you have your your fun fact your fun I'm, fact finder the the internet i'm gonna do it right now <laughs> yeah. um yeah, yeah, I used to be friends with Al Pacino's assistant like many years ago. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's amazing. So you just get like movie offers every day. And, he, and his assistant 16 was like. 16 minutes. 16 minutes 16 is what minutes. it says. Okay. Yeah. 16 so minutes. 50% Pretty more. close. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, he's like, he mainly gets offered these like mentor roles. You know, people mm-hmm. want him in the movie, but they want it. They just, they assume he's not going to, you know, I don't like he was saying like, he'd love to get more lead roles because he's just been offered these kind of yeah. mentor roles and i thought it was like an interesting thing until he had told me that i didn't think about like how you know like old like kind of very familiar names do that and yeah i don't know it's you know there, we're, there is a- we're very interested about this business you know we've worked in indie film matt's putting the other movie like all that stuff casting is like just such an important part of it and how i know it i know and, and, and look and like business of it yeah Here's the thing. I think if we were having this conversation a year after the movie came out, we could we could talk about this in a very different way, but I think that basically what happened is that this is a movie that allowed Bruce to do something that he's done only rarely, I think, mm-hmm. in the last decade or so. Um and it really kind of resonated and it really um and and there's some really interesting parallels um mm-hmm. with you know with where 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 he's at in in his life and and where and where this is and and again like in the story not not the story in the film but the story of the film it's a very very interesting coincidence that this is going to be his last release my final final question about him did you have to get on a call with him to like pitch him the movie before he signed on. I'm an unknown quantity and he's Bruce Willis. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of conversations that happen that have to happen before, you know, me and him connect directly. But 
you know, that was, uh, you know, that was part of selling my vision and, and, and why I thought that, that this could be such a great fit, you know, whereas like with some of, you know, that was the last part of the puzzle. Whereas mm-hmm. with obviously with some of the other cast members and some of the other actors, that was like the first thing, like before you, could, before you talk money, before you talk to agents, before you talk to lawyers, you know, start with the person. And any advice on like, on what you should do when you, if you have a meeting like that, if some, one of our listeners is, has a meeting with like a name person that they're trying to get in their movie, any advice? Well, look, I mean, here in this, in, again, in this case, I had some kind of, you know, hybrid, uh, proof of concept, short film, passion project type thing. Sure. That, right. uh, that right. did, that really spoke volumes. And honestly, I'm really glad that I had that because I feel like, I feel like it was so easy to put that in people's hands and say, look, this is, this is what the film is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an, exp- obviously it's an expansion in a lot of ways and it's a lot bigger and there's a lot more complex things about it. And that is why it deserves to be a feature film. But you know, this is, this is the tone, this is the style, mm-hmm. this is the concept, this is the way that I see it working. And people were able to have that as a starting point. And I really didn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting because yeah. I had that. And I, and I see the difference in that, you know, even, you know, before you were, you two were asking me about, you know, what's coming next for me. And in some ways, you know, there's more doors open now because the feature has been made. And even though, you know, the feature hasn't been released, you know, people know that it exists. They've seen the trailer, they've seen the other two shorts. And so, you know, more doors are open Mm -hmm. and interesting conversations are happening. However, I am pitching harder than ever because the new projects that i'm taking out don't have a short film that go along with sure sure right yeah i i you know it's funny in hearing you talk about it it makes me a little jealous because orin and i talk about this all the time on the show there are so many instances where especially like in like music videos or short form where you're like you feel like oh i'm the only person who knows what this is gonna like what this is going to look and feel like and producers will be like how's it going you're like it's going great can't you tell you know but you have as you know the short film as uh you know again a proof of concept in so in so much as like it proves the tone it proves the voice it proves you know just the 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 concept you have a, a a seed a jumping off point for everyone um now I'm jealous, it's, it, it, which is so much better than a lookbook or a, a screenplay or any of that other stuff. Like you can literally be like, this is a tiny version, a smaller budget version of the movie, guys. Totally. And yeah, it, it really just it removes a lot of questions. It puts it puts a lot of trust back into your hands and. Um, and, you know, removes a lot of doubt in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, mm-hmm. especially that obviously, you know, I've I've faced you know, that crazy insurmountable mountain of, you know, you know, producers sitting across from you or financier and being like, uh, but he's still a first timer. Sure. You know, and you know, one of the things that I'm just so excited about right now, not only about the movie coming out, but just never having to go into another room and being looked at as a first timer again, because I struggled so hard against that for years and years. And lost this project and that project because eventually I was just beat out by the of the person who already had made a feature. Mm-hmm. So see, I think that's so crazy. Like I feel like if you made like 
a okay feature that played like some small festivals, you probably have less cachet in the room than if you had a short at Sundance, I, I think. And, you know, it obviously depends what it is and how it, it was received. But like Matt and I debate this all the time because Matt thinks like having a feature under your belt is very valuable to, to people. I mean, it has to be a good feature. It has to be right. a good feature like if, is the catch, right? <laughs> well, look, I think, I think, you know, you know, when you make a short and, you know, there's, you know, there's, when you make an interesting short and a short that resonates and, you know, actually tells a complete story and gives people a viewpoint on your, on who you are and what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a ton of doors open and people want to meet with you. They just don't have anything to give you, mm-hmm. you know, right. they, they want to meet with you. They want to hear what you're doing. And it's still on you to to bring the project yeah. to the party, yeah. which is what um, you've been doing anyway, right? That's right. like your which is what I've been working. doing anyway. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, look, there's there's some cases, sure, but like it's it's very rare to for somebody to to make a short and then get handed a feature and have that feature be something completely different than what they did yeah. at a short. I mean, I, I can mean, think no. of the con. I can think about like you know, sure. Fede Alvarez comes hey. to mind. Sure, but that's like maybe that's the only person that i can think of whereas more like you know like the neil blomkamp you know did you know sure. the short of district nine and damien chazelle did whiplash as, as a short i i i lost best short at sundance to whiplash so i certainly remember that fact it's a, it's pretty um, good. i went to nowhere don't worry <laughs> i mean yeah yeah yeah. what's he ever done um but if you, at the if you same yourself- time i well i sorry matt i mean i would just i just not to talk over you but I would say the opposite of what Oren said because you know, yes, you're the t- you're the hot flavor of the month if you have a great short and it can and you know it gets you to the party. But then, like like I said, like you still have to del- deliver, right? But you know, I have seen you know careers take off, and you know I'm you know I've watched people that I know make you know mediocre first films and they still have a thriving career afterwards. And I think the value in that is not, you know, uh, you know, somehow they skirted director jail, but I think the more important thing of value is, you know, the person who you're looking to bring on as a producer or a financier or distributor or whatever, they know that you can make that feature and not implode into like mm-hmm. a sob, a sobbing, sniveling mess. It's a different and deal. Still deliver it yeah. on time, you know, yeah. and not go crazy and not, you know, have mm-hmm. a not have a heart attack, not have a nervous breakdown, yeah. and not be a screaming ass, you know, that's abusive to your entire crew. And then you get a chance to do it again because you've survived yeah. and you can, yeah. you've proved that you can survive. I always say, just put yourself in an executive's shoes, right? Like if, you know, Jesse comes in, he pitches this awesome take on this feature and then they have to take it up to their boss. They say, oh, Jesse's awesome. So great. Oh, what has Jesse done? Right. You want want to do some shorts. Yeah, you know, like you just—they're yeah. like, okay, well, now I look like a jerk, yeah. and it's and easier just read to Jesse's bio. Like he edited all this <laughs> stuff. He's been award-winning. He did these docs. Sure, sure. But yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. It, it well, boss. look, yeah. I mean, yeah. look. It's definitely—it's a brick wall, and you got to break it down. Yeah. And there's not really a roadmap, unfortunately. You yeah, just yeah. have to—you have to be relentless, and your—you know—the products that you're bringing to the table have to be undeniable. Well, Jesse, awesome. Thanks so much for coming and talking to us, and. um you know, letting us of know course. how, how these movies come together. I mean, you know, this podcast, we tell, we tell all our guests, like 
every other podcast uh, or press thing is like about mm-hmm. getting people to go watch your movie, which of course people should go watch Assassin. It yeah. is probably out on VOD by the time this episode is dropping. But more importantly, and the thing we really focus on, and I think what differentiates us is less, you know, we, we care about the person and the career and the director, mm-hmm. you know, more than the project. Um, and that's just our thing, even when it comes to our own things. Oh, yeah. Uh, Matt, for crying out loud, never promotes his own WeFunder campaign. I've never even seen anything orange <laughs> shot. So, yeah, that is watch it true. <laughs> um, so, you know, that that's what that's what we care about is just knowing, you know, what what can we learn from you? Or like, what can we take away from your experience? And um, and that's awesome. And I think it's super helpful to to hear these things. Yeah. Well, no, you guys, you guys are you guys always ask good questions and and, and take the conversation in fun ways. Cool. Well, thanks. Well, before we lose you, do you mind hanging out for an unpaid endorsement real quick? Sure. Unpaid endorsements. Uh, So I've got two endorsements. One, boy, it's really obvious. I cracked open Unreal for the first time just to play around with it. Here's the thing about Unreal that is super excited because I you know I did a bunch of blender tutorials. I've texted Oren images of the donut that I made all of that stuff. Unreal is user friendly and the tool set is built towards the things that filmmakers want to do more than even though it's a game engine, which seems counterintuitive. It's more filmmaker for uh, facing than any other software that I've used in a long time. Like it, it's re- a relatively transparent. It's relatively straightforward. You've got an incredible asset library. So I'm not modeling things or like trying to rig characters in the same way i'm into i'm pretty sure you can't model in unreal yeah you well you can you can sculpt stuff here and there or whatever yeah yeah Yeah, but the point is is like oh i can do storyboards i can do vfx i can do fake backgrounds way 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 faster than trying to teach myself any other 3d program basically um and so that's been a treat it's been really fun um, it's all free. It's incredible. The asset library is truly insane. Um, so that's my first one. And then my second one is, uh, did you guys watch the show party down? I watched the first iteration. I haven't so, seen the, the so you haven't one. seen the new one. So the, I haven't watched the new one yet either because I'm rewatching the first two seasons of party down. So I'm going to get there. It's been a real treat um, for the uninitiated party down is a show about a, a band of cater waiterers going to a different party every single episode. And they're all kind of like Hollywood tryhards. It's Adam Scott, Martin Starr, Lizzie Kaplan, Ryan Hansen, um, Jane, Lynch. Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch, she gets replaced by Jennifer Coolidge and Megan Mullally. Ken Marino is kind of the, the boss of the whole group. Um, and it's great. And what I love about it in particular is that I was more or less the age and career status of those people when that show came out. You know, like like Lizzie Kaplan. You're like a really good cater waiter. Yeah, I'm really good. Like I can sling derves with the best of them. Um, but no, like like literally Lizzie Kaplan's first line of the series is like she's like on the phone. She's like, I told you I was at improv. And she's like complaining about her husband or whatever. And it just it just felt so specific to that era in my life just so 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 familiar so um the third season is releasing currently on stars and is less of a reboot and more of a continuation it's literally like 13 years later like the characters are it's the same cast they've all just aged and you know 
had some successes and some failures and they're just kind of we're we're reinserting our um experience with them years and years later so i can't wait as a maybe a kind of a sidecar recommendation i watched the cinecom.net virtual mm-hmm. production unreal tutorial it's about 11 minutes long there's these like goofy swedish guys we've talked about on the show before and i love their tutorials because they're so simple and like trying really hard to be funny aren't super super funny but are charming in that way but like any after effects tutorial i've ever watched from them you're like yeah i get it you draw a mask like it's really really basic but now that i'm entering a software that i know nothing about i'm like oh this is great they really are i didn't know i don't know how to navigate the browser or anything so it was actually super helpful so shout out to cinecom.net and those goofy guys scandinavians scandinavians there you go um jesse what you got buddy um something that has helped me a lot lately as a filmmaker and i found it to be very user-friendly is my new air fryer oh sure uh, people are going crazy over these air fryers let me ask you a question do you clean your air fryer after you use it oh you have to clean your air fryer after you use Uh, it that's why i don't want to get into that sport well, mm-hmm. that is that is one way that it is different than an oven. But in another way, I, I feel like I feel like the amount of different things that I've put into the air fryer has made me un- think about heat in a different mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that I don't really understand exactly what's happening. You're all about convection maybe now. I just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I just sound like an idiot because I don't because I just said I don't really understand what's happening in an oven. But I feel like I can understand how things are cooking mm-hmm. and what is happening to them when they're in an air fryer. And it's also like, it's so fast and immediate that it feels like rapid prototyping experiments. And if you do it wrong, you can just burn things, do it again. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Like, yeah, r- sure. like right then you're, you're iterating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, but oh, do you these, find- these Brussels are sprouts things- are terrible, but if I give myself 10 more minutes, I can have Brussels sprouts the right way. Are things more delicious though? That's like what I care about. I think it's just the pure joy of like this, you know, this handle that you pull out of the the box mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, you like, you, you basically, you, you know, you do an, ex- you, you do a science experiment, you throw it back in there. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, what did I create? And if it's delicious, you're so proud of yourself, but you haven't really done anything. Oh, reminds me of uh, it's like the food dehydrator of like the nineties. Mm. Now the air exactly, fryer. yeah. I don't really know what the like. It's not really frying, right? So it basically, is it an oven or is it doing something else? I don't understand. I don't. Know. I think I think it's an oven that just has a fan built in, right? Isn't that convection mm-hmm. oven? Yeah, I think, but I, I think, think that's there's it, right? more to it. I don't know. I I know that when I did those taquito commercials, um, we were like, how how do you how should we make them in the commercial? And they're like, our number one recommendation is an air fryer, which is crazy because I grew up on those taquitos and we did not have air fryers mm-hmm. back then. So it's kind of like <laughs> they've realized this very, this product that's been around for like 30 years, they've now realized that is better if you make it in an air fryer. Okay, I'll just do a real quick one. Another Trader Joe's thing. These are like, they're not an A plus item, but they're like a solid B plus, A minus. They're, uh, and I'm like, I feel like I'll be into them for like a few months. Mm-hmm. They're the brownie crisp coffee ice cream sandwiches. Mm, okay. So they're like ice cream sandwiches, but they're square. Mm-hmm. And they have like chocolate chip coffee ice cream in the middle. And 
it's not like drinking a cup of coffee, but you know, if you got to do a podcast, you eat one right at the beginning and it a little, little pep in your step. Yeah. Let's see. Last all the way through. And I find them to be delicious, very yeah. delicious. And I, added bonus, your kids won't eat them because they're, they're very much coffee flavored. Uh, that's the first Trader Joe's recommendation that I'm full into. Like oh. everything else, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll give that a shot and I like it. But like, I'm ready. I'm going to, I'm going to buy some. I'll, I'll report back. Yeah. They're just, it come. I think they're four to a buck. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a very low, yeah. low risk investment. Jesse, Oren. And- Fantastic. I might even put them in the air fryer and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do not do that. Yeah. Not recommended. <laughs> the crispy on the outside. Jesse, we don't want to get liquid. Sued. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesse, if people want to um, follow what you're doing, what's do you tweet? Do you IG? Do you TikTok? Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram and I'm Jesse Atlas on Instagram. And uh, that is the, that is the only social media that, that I do. But, um, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be posting about what's, what's happening next and what's happening now. And you have a great name. I feel like well, thank you. it's so easy. Like there. we don't need to tell people how to spell it. Um, just the Atlas, but it's like kind of unique. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a million people have it, but it's very mm-hmm. easy to, mm-hmm. to remember. It's memorable. Yeah, it's good stuff. Cool. People ask me if, if I've made it up and it is, I did not. You say it no. actually the name. Yeah. If you want to tell us what you think about Jesse's insane ideas, if you want to ask us a question, if you want to tell us about how you attach talent to your movie or how you put your movies together tweeted us at just shoot a pod or even find us on instagram you can go to my website and send matt a message go to matt's website send me a message hmm. uh and you can follow us across all social media at just shoot it pod you can follow me at o kaplan on instagram and you can follow me at mr matt Unlow. this episode was edited by noah bayshore thanks noah and produced by tyler small thanks tyler uh, and you're listening to music provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.